0: This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. See, this is my fault. I tried to dress up like Dan Swick, and uh, I wasn't wearing socks. So I thought this is my fault. I jinxed me into this. No, I'm not superstitious. Um, You know, days like this will make us appreciate what we have on a normal day. So. You ever open up those little, remember they had the Pepsi caps, and they had the, like the little code in the top, and you could win a prize on their website and all that? The ones I always got, when you open it up, it said, thanks, please try again. <laughs> right? That's where we're at today. This will make you appreciate the good days. Um, I'm not a preacher. I'm just another guy in the church like y'all. Just I just have some lessons tucked away, so when this came up, you know, I told Mike, I said, well, I have some stuff tucked away, I've actually used this in our class, so sorry for being redundant, y'all, but I thought, you know, for a what-if, well, today's a what-if, um, so pray for me uh, so my, knee, my knees and my bare ankles aren't knocking together. Um, we're going to be uh, teaching this morning out of 2 Samuel chapter 9. Um, who's ever heard the name of Phibosheth? Raise your hand. Who can spell it? <laughs> Mephibosheth is one of those names where, you know, remember Johnny Cash had that song, Boy Named Sue, and he caught a lot of flack over it, you know, in the song, being named Sue. Imagine going through school being named Mephibosheth. So some of these names, we can't pronounce them. Um, there's a lot of good that comes with the person associated with it. So we're going to talk about a guy by the name of Mephibosheth this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. Let's read this one verse and we'll expound on it a little bit. Now David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? We know that David in the Old Testament was the king that God chose to rule over Israel. But you remember he had a long journey getting there. You know He had sent Samuel to anoint David when he was young. But David, uh, he didn't go directly to the throne when he was anointed king. There was another guy sitting in the seat, King Saul. And David had to defeat all of his enemies. And it was a long a lot of first and second Samuel was to do with David's uh, mighty men and the things he went through to get to the place where God had for him. So he had to fight to get there. And that's kind of a picture of our life. We're God's sons, but we know we don't live in the throne room of God today. We're not sitting at his table today. And there's a verse in the Bible where Paul said, He makes us presidents to sit in heavenly places together so in god's mind we're already there but in our mind we're still battling and getting there and that's what david had to get through before he finally got to the throne so one day david was thinking back over his past our our passage here in second samuel and uh he asked one of his servants whether any of saul's family jonathan's family was still alive he wanted to show kindness to them david remembered that his promise to Jonathan in 1 Samuel 20, Jonathan's father Saul was ruling at that time, and he was an evil king, as we remember. And David felt like Saul was out to kill him. And this is the story of David and Jonathan and his promise. And so David, uh, David was concerned, and he told Jonathan about those concerns, and Jonathan said, No, he, ain't, he wouldn't try to kill you, or else I would know it. I'm his son. I would know if he's trying to cause you harm. So David, being cautious, devised a plan and he told Jonathan, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss sitting at the king's table because David was required as one of the king's servants to be present at the meals that the king would, would host. He said, the king's going to notice my absence from the table. And when he does, you tell him that you've granted me permission to go and visit my family in Bethlehem. And then you let me know if King Saul says some evil of me. And then we'll know the answer. And they decided they would meet out in the field after David's absence and all this took place at the table. And Jonathan would shoot some arrows like he was practicing his archery. And Jonathan would shoot the arrow a short distance if David was safe. But he'd shoot it a long distance if David was in trouble. Turns out David needed to go on the run for his life. But before they parted ways, Jonathan made David swear an oath to him. He said, I know that you're the Lord's anointed. You must promise me that you'll not only show me kindness while I still live, but, so that I won't die, but promise me you won't cut off my house and, from your kindness forever. He said, not even when the Lord has cut off all of David's enemies from the face of the earth. Show kindness to my house and don't cut them off. And he made David swear because the Bible says David loved him as he loved his own soul. So now on this night, years later, David's thinking back to that time many years ago. He remembered his promise and this was long after he was king and Jonathan had been dead a long time. But David wanted to show kindness To someone from Jonathan's descendants for that for that same purpose someone that was still living so David's uh, servant informed him that Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth and he said you know he's lame in both feet and the story behind that he was five years old Mephibosheth when the news about Saul and Jonathan's death came from Jezreel and you see the custom in those days is when a king had a successor then that son or that successor would take the throne. But in the case of when Saul and Jonathan fell, there was no one succeed Jonathan or, or Saul. So normally what they would do is when a new king came into power, in this case, David, and this was the custom they followed from all the pagan nations around them. You remember, Israel wanted a king like the other guys had, and God told Samuel, I'm their king. And they're not rejecting you, Samuel, they're rejecting me. But give him a king, so they gave him Saul, but that wasn't God's choice. But when David come into power, they were afraid it would be like all the other nations. They would kill off everybody who could thwart this new king coming into power. So after hearing the news of Jonathan and Saul's death in, in battle, the young nurse who was watching over young Mephibosheth, five years old, was fearful for a safety. She, she snatched him up to flee and hide him and she dropped him and it left him crippled all of his life so he bear like us he bear the imperfection the wound the crippledness of running from God right he was running from da- from King David he lived with that all of his life and it's a reminder so all these years he had lived in secret hiding from King David not wanting the king to find him because he knew the king would see him as an enemy in his mind. He saw himself as Saul's descendant, so that made him an enemy of the king. That's the way he thought about it. But the king identified him. i got to tell you all something right now before I get started. My class knows this. I'm an emotional guy, and sometimes the scripture and the story grips me. Sorry, I'm a crier. You just got to deal with me. You'll have Mike Farley next week. And have to deal with me if this happens. I'm sorry, I can't help. But he saw himself as Saul's descendant, but the king identified him as Jonathan's descendant. He would be shown mercy and grace and kindness. Do you see the picture here? Paul said all these things were written for our admonition and for our pictures. We see ourselves as Adam's descendant, an enemy of God. Father sees us as Jesus it when we belong to Him. That ought to make you want to run a lap, y'all. Think about it. Don't do that. You'll scare me. David was overjoyed to learn of this young man's existence. He didn't care about he belonged to Saul. He was just glad he was there. And the Father loves us the same way. You see where this is going? This ain't just a story. This is This is why this is God's book. It's real, it's living, it's breathing. Stories that happen are pictures of us. (laughs) Only God could do that. We should never neglect this book. So David was glad this young boy was living. He was excited, actually. So he sent soldiers and summoned Mephibosheth to come before the king. Buddy, I'm sure Mephibosheth was terrified when these guys showed up and said, The king wants to see you. He had to be thinking, oh my Lord, he's found me. I've been hiding all these years. I went trying to make waves, and he found me. What would the king want with him? He must have thought. Surely he say, he seeks to punish me, or maybe kill me, or put me in prison. I mean, this guy's got armies and soldiers. I, he's a mighty warrior himself. I'm no match to defend myself against this king, so I'm helplessly doomed. Read with me, 2 Samuel chapter 9. Verses 6 and 7. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, here is your servant. So David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and I will restore to you All the land of Saul, your grandfather. And you shall eat bread at my table continually. Man, Mephibosheth was confused. This this isn't what he expected the king to say at all. He felt like at the very least, I might get to be like a beggar in his house and maybe sweep the floors or whatever. I mean, if he lets me live at all. But that ain't what he said. He said good things to him. First thing he said is the thing that Jesus said to most of his disciples, do not fear. Remember that? We talked about in class how Jesus over and over told him, do not fear. And he told Mephibosheth, don't be afraid. So in true humility, Mephibosheth Mephibosheth said, see, I told you it's hard to say. He said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Man, can you see us there? I'm nothing but a worm. Compared to the righteousness of God and what he represents, he expects holiness and purity and perfection. Some of y'all out here, my sons here, some of my friends, they know me. I'm not that. I'm like Mephibosheth. I'm just a dead dog compared to the righteousness of God. I'm not worthy of nothing. And the king called Zeba. Saul's servant said to him, All that belongs to Saul and to his house I have given you, given to your master's grandson. David told Mephibosheth's servant, And you and your sons and your servants will till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread. Now here's what's cool. He just told the servants, All this land that was his grandfather's I'm given to him. And I want you all to go out there and till the land and bring in all this produce so he'll always have bread in his house. But check out this. But Mephibosheth shall always eat at my table. So he won't even have to eat of all that stuff. He's going to eat at my table as one of the king's sons. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. Did you catch all that? He's going to have service to till the land and the produce and grain so they would never run out of food to eat. But yet, he's going to eat at my table. That's a picture of us. God promised he came to give us the abundant life. Jesus came to give us life more abundantly. He can give us more than we could ever need. Does that mean we won't ever have need? He may run us through things, but pretty much, as, as David said in one of the Psalms, I was once young, but now I'm old, and I've never seen a righteous begging for bread. He can do things for us that we'll never have need, but yet we're promised to be able to sit at the king's table. That's more than we could ever imagine. I mean, that's so much more than we could ever expect. So if you put all that together, that means Mephibosheth's cup runs over. Here he thinks I'm a dead dog. He's going to kill me. He's going to send me away. But his cup runs over. He'll never run out of food. He has an overabundance because of the king's kindness, not because of anything he's ever done. Verse 11 tells us that Mephibosheth would eat at the king's table like one of the king's sons. Did you see that? And verse 13 says Mephibosheth moved to Jerusalem because he ate at the king's table and he was lame in both feet. Folks, that's grace. That's a picture of us. Because of the sin of our ancestor, Adam, sin came upon all men. We were enemies of God. So we hid from him. And like Adam and Eve hid from him in the garden, we hid from God. And then God came looking for us. Just like he came looking for Adam and Eve in the garden. He, he went to hunt them down. He wasn't going to let them stay apart from him. And just like King David came looking for Mephibosheth, you want to go lame stay away. And now, because of Christ, we can sit at the king's table and be considered one of the king's sons or daughters. Here's something where we can just kind of read between the lines, y'all. I mean, you picture a king's table with a big royal tablecloth hanging off the sides. You know, and the Bible told us Mephibosheth had lame legs. But think about this when he's sitting at the table as one of the king's sons, that tablecloth covered his little lame legs, he looked like the other guys. He didn't look crippled and lame. He was one of the king's other sons. So we're all on equal ground at the king's table. There's no difference. So now uh, seated at the king's table, and he certainly did nothing to deserve this grace. The king showed kindness for him for Jonathan's sake. The Bible makes that clear. Don't lose that connection. God shows kindness to Mike Davis for Jesus' sake. Nothing that I did. I'm crippled. I'm a dead dog. Do you see the picture? But for Christ's sake, God promised his son. And for Christ's sake, I get showed kindness. I can be one of the king's sons. All we can do is come crippled to the king of glory, and fall flat on our face, bound before the king, bringing nothing to the king's table. But like Mephibosheth, we shall have all the bread we need to eat, though we were nothing more than a dead dog. And now we have no need to fear when we come before the king. You know, the first time he came to the king, he was scared. He knew there was a problem between him and the king, right? And he was fearful, but not anymore. We can... Because of that ripped veil we learned about in Sunday school, he can approach the throne of grace with boldness. And like Mephibosheth's servant Ziba, who tilled the land for provision, the Holy Spirit will provide for us, teaching us how to walk and live like sons of God. We were crippled by sin. We were all dead dogs and brought nothing to the king's table. But like Mephibosheth, we can eat at the king's table and be like his sons and daughters. Absolute grace. God will make us one of his sons for Jesus' sake because of what Jesus did. See, Jonathan meant something to David. They had a history. And our high priest was with the Father from the beginning. And his actions, his sacrifice, earned us a place at the table. Isn't that amazing? You can't earn it this young man didn't earn it. He didn't earn the right to sit at the king's table, and neither can you and I. Jonathan's relationship with David gave Mephibosheth the right to sit at the table, and you and I can only sit at that table through our relationship with Jesus. He claims this. You know, we should wear that shirt. I'm with him, because he claims this. Christian, this should remind us of our standing before God because of Jesus One of the most remarkable doctrines in the Bible was that we can have Jesus' very own righteousness imputed toward us. That means we're covered by his perfect nature. That's only because we're told in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God the Father made Jesus, who never sinned, to become sin for us so we might become the righteousness of God in him. We were talking about that in Sunday school this morning when Christ hung on the cross and the point where he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His flesh was bearing our sin on him, on the cross, and God had to turn us back. He who never sinned wears our sin, so that we get, we traded coats. <laughs> we get to wear his righteousness. I don't know about you, but that makes my hair fall out, <laughs> It makes me absolutely baffled. How can we understand that? I believe it because the book says it. But it makes no sense to me. I mean, I love my boys. I love my family. When they're wrong, they wrong. But God took our wrong and put it on his son so that we could be made right. It's just Baffling. was the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Christ's blood completely satisfied God's wrath against us forever. You know what that means? That's what propitiation means. It means that God could never be angry at us again. It's gone. His wrath was poured out on his son on the cross. He took that wrath for us. We won't be punished by his wrath. People think that you have to do good works to be called a child of God, and you may feel like you don't have the power to do that. Well, you're in good company because that's the state of all people. None of us have the power to do that. We don't have the power to do that on our own, to live good without any mistakes. In the book of John, some people asked Jesus one time about What kind of good works could they do to please God? John 6, 28 and 29 says, Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him who he sent. So all you got to do is believe who he is and believe on him. That's all it takes. Having faith in what he did on the cross, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. After a person repents and replaces their, their, their trust in Christ, they receive grace at that moment. And the Bible says they're justified by His grace as a gift. So how much of that did we contribute to it? Nothing. Not a thing. Paul addressed the, the church, in, um, the Corinthian church as saints. And if you ever read Corinthians, he's spending that time getting on to them for their inadequacies but he called them saints, starting out in the address. He was talking about their identity that stemmed from their spiritual birth because their physical behavior wasn't very saintly. But he calls them saints in chapter 1. And then spends the rest of his letter telling them to live like the saints they are. So when the devil lies to you and says, Oh, what kind of Christian are you? Well, I'm probably not the best Christian. <laughs> a, a lot. I walk out of here and I can be Mike Davis, right? But we're supposed to live like the saints we are because we are. We're not working to get there. We're not trying hard to be saints. We're saints. Understand that. Christ's perfection is on us. The Father sees that. If he looked at me, he'd zap me off the face of the earth. We're saints. We need to live like it. Well, that don't mean you have to live a sinless life because we can't. God just remembers our sins no more. And God has set you apart and placed Christ's nature within you. The Bible tells us you are righteous and holy. You receive the gift of righteousness, according to Romans 5, 17. The Lord Jesus is your righteousness. And when you received him, your spirit was filled with righteousness. And just like poor Mephibosheth, you're one of the king's sons. When you don't behave righteously, you're just being inconsistent with who you are. Because of Christ, you're fully accepted by God. And you're accepted because you're in Christ, Ephesians 1, 6 says. Because he's received you and he is fully accepted by the Father. So you are fully accepted by the Father. Couldn't nobody talk junk about Mephibosheth as long as David was king. Think about that. As long as David sat on that throne, Mephibosheth was one of the sons. Couldn't nobody kick him out? Couldn't nobody look down on him? He he was represented by David. They, he was under David's protection. When you're in Christ, nobody can take you out of there. Remember he said, nobody can take you out of my hand. For nobody could take you out of my Father's hand. He's greater than all. When you're saved, when you believe in Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, you're in Christ. That automatically separates you from the sinful person you once were. You think, wait a minute, but I I still commit sin. Yeah, we're probably gone. The Bible says we can't live without sin on this earth. One day we're going to be fully adopted away from that in a glorified body, but right now, if I died today and, oops, I forgot to confess the sin, guess what? Christ's righteousness on judgment, day goes and that one's mine. <laughs> Amen? Yeah. Satan calls many Christians to believe that they're not really new persons in Christ. But the Bible doesn't say you will become. The Bible says when you trust Christ, you are a new creation. You're a new creature. Old things have passed away. Listen to this. Behold, all things have become new. Sounds pretty much definite to me. So Paul's telling the the saints in Corinthians who weren't very saintly to act, to try their best. That's the sanctification part. Try your best to act like the new creations you are because it's your Christian duty. But even if you fail, There's that thing that John wrote, you have an advocate with the Father, right? But that's not all that God says. He says that you are a new creation. When you come to believe that by fact, you won't feel the need to act. You can just be yourself and let Christ live his life through you. And here's the the part you should dwell on. Think about things above, the Bible says, right? When you fill in your mind with what Jesus did for us, we learned about it in detail in Sunday school. When you learn about what it cost him just by the very love and, and adoration we have for what he did it'll make you say lord just live your life through me before i got up here today i gonna tell you i was scared to death to get up here and i said god just cover me because i'm gonna mess this up i know i will right but you have to be willing to let him use you and live through you and he will Look at it this way. If you were to wear a new suit, you wouldn't go outside and play in the mud, would you? Mess your new suit up. So you can be conscientious about how you conduct yourself. But even if you get your suit a little muddy, we had that lesson a few weeks back in Sunday school. He said, when they were doing the feet washing thing, and you know Peter said, oh, you'll never wash my feet. And he said, look, those who've been washed are clean every whit. In other words, you're clean completely. But walking through this earth, you get your feet a little dirty, you just got to wash your feet. You're clean. When we belong to him, we are clean. We're sons. I'm trying to shorten this, y'all. Let me, let, let me do one more illustration. Imagine that a king decreed. That a pardon would be extended to all the, let's just say, lack of a better term, some of the worst things are the prostitutes, right? Would that be a good news for you if you were a prostitute that a pardon was extended by the king? You wouldn't have to worry about avoiding the law or having a criminal record? Pardon would definitely be good news to you, but it wouldn't necessarily give you the motivation to change your lifestyle. But suppose in addition to extending a pardon, the king came to you personally and said, I want you to become my wife. So not only are you pardoned, but I want you to become part of my family. I want you to be my wife. Who wouldn't trade the life of the streets for the life of being a queen, being married to the king, gaining a new identity as the king's wife? That'd be a motivation to abandon the prostitution, wouldn't it? When you become a Christian, you probably understand that your sins are forgiven. All your sins are forgiven. But sometimes we think, did that forgiveness give me sufficient motivation to change my behavior? But The Bible says we're the bride of Christ. So not only do we get forgiven, it's kind of like erase the slate. But it's not an erase the slate, start over, you're forgiven. But then, in addition to all of that, which is already more than we deserve, hey, I want you to be my bride. I want you to be a part of me. You and I will be one. Think about that. What a motivation that is. A proper understanding of our identity in Christ will motivate us to a different attitude towards sin. So instead of walking around here because you have this thing that's hovering over you and you can't stop it, you look at your sin as a, The motivation now is you look at a sin as something that you do and you tell God about and you're sorry and you're wrong. It's forgiven and you move on and you be the bride of Christ. You be the person you are. If you have trouble thinking of yourself as a saint, if you belong to Christ today and you're here, you're a saint. We need to renew our minds by reading this word what he says, not how you feel about it, what he says. You're already there. And if you've never received the gift of salvation and forgiveness by grace through faith in the death of Jesus, death and resurrection alone, I urge you to do so. None of us deserve it. But God loves you enough to forgive you of all your wrongdoings. Anything, even the little secret things, forgives you of all your wrongdoings. And to make you his child, just like Mephibosheth. We deserve his punishment, but the Bible says that God loved the world so much that he punished his son instead. We only need to believe in him and accept it, and that forgiveness is ours. <laughs> and then we'll sit continually and feast at the king's table as one of the king's sons. Let's pray. Father, I ask you to take take this lesson, um, you know, my little feeble attempt. God, just do with it what you will. God, your word won't return void. Have it touch our hearts. Have us leave here today being thankful for your sacrifice, um, your salvation. And Lord, our assurance that if we just trust in what you did, then we can never lose it because of what we do. God, I ask you to bless every home represented here today, God. They could have been any place else. But I think you brought them here. And God, this is an unusual Sunday. Our leadership had other things going on. And God, in your own way, you had a lot to do with this. I ask that you take our feeble efforts of worship and learning and, and, and trying to understand your love and your greatness, and just help us to apply it to our lives. Don't walk out of here like it didn't happen. But Lord, think about it all week and chew on it and be thankful for the gift of something that we could not do and we did not deserve. And God, help us to be so rejoicing in it that we want to tell others. We don't want others to go to that place of torment that you talked about so many times in the scriptures. Please help us, God, to trust your son daily and to just believe on him and help us to be a witness for you Lord help us to share with others so they can be with us in heaven one day be with all the prayer requests our pastor and his family Lord just help them and bring them back to us safe and Aaron and and Lord we just uh, praise you for all that you do all those things we ask in Christ Amen. Amen for additional sermon resources and to find out who we are visit us online at westconcordchurch.com thanks for listening